Today's episode is brought to you by Create Engage, the digital marketing agency for the disruptive management consultancy. Digital marketing has moved forwards, but most consulting firms haven't. Many consulting firms still see their corporate blog as their sole digital marketing channel and find themselves frustrated when these blogs yield little, if any, results. For those consultancies that understand digital marketing, though, it can be a huge asset and help them achieve rapid business growth. In fact, at Create Engage, we've recently written a case study of one successful consulting firm that used digital marketing to help them grow over 400% in just three years. Having spent countless hours researching consulting firms and consulting leaders for this podcast, it became very clear that while some firms do digital marketing well, the vast majority of consulting firms struggle to leverage its power and don't know where to start. To help those of you who want to harness the power of digital marketing to grow your consulting business, but don't have the knowledge, capacity, or in-house capability to do so, I launched Create Engage, the first digital marketing agency for the management consulting industry. As former consultants ourselves, we understand the challenges that you face when it comes to delivering effective digital marketing that engages prospective clients and generates leads. Having worked in the industry, we understand consulting buyers what resonates with them and what doesn't. This enables us to harness the latest in digital marketing in a way that aligns with your brand and your market positioning to attract the prospective clients that you're looking to target. We understand that each consultancy is unique and have a range of services to help you shape, implement and sustain effective digital marketing strategies that deliver results, regardless of where you are on your digital marketing journey. If you would like to find out more, about how Create Engage can help you use digital marketing to take your business to the next level, then send me an email at nick at createengage.co.uk or go to our website, createengage.co.uk, where you can download that free case study that breaks down the digital marketing strategies used by one successful consulting firm to help them grow over 400% in just three years and gives you the secrets they used so that you can apply them in your own firm. If you want to outpace your competitors and stand out in the crowded consulting market, then get in touch. We'd love to help you grow your business through digital marketing. Hi, and welcome to Climbing Consulting. Today's episode is taken from an interview that I recently did for Sales for Startups as part of their fantastic interview series. This series, hosted by their CEO, James Kerr-Reed, explores many of the key topics that anyone launching their own business needs to think about. Much like we do for Climate Consulting, James interviews leaders from various fields to share their insights and experience with his audience, giving them advice on everything from fundraising and the accounting technicalities you need to think about, right through to sales and marketing. As you probably guessed, James asked if I would take part in the series to share my advice on marketing for startup consulting businesses. In this conversation, I share much of the advice that we're giving to our clients day in, day out. I explain the Create Engage philosophy, our approach to marketing, and give you our top tips for what you should be doing right now to help you create effective marketing that generates return on investment for your consulting business. As James's series is targeted at startups more generally, there is a little bit of a build-up to this episode where we just clarify what it means by consulting and the types of consultants we work with and how that relates to James's client base more broadly. But as you'll hear, after that short intro, 
we quickly dive in to some really important points that are critical for you if you are looking to grow your consultancy. So with the intro done and dusted, please enjoy today's episode of Climbing Consulting, my interview for the Sales for Startups interview series. So Nick, great to have you on the line and to really share some best practice with the consultancy market. I've engaged with quite a few consultancy owners over the years. I'm obviously one of them as well. So I have self-interest in this interview. So very (laughs) excited. Self-interest does sometimes win the day. So my first question for you is just to give the audience a bit of a flavor as to who you are and what Create Engage, what market do they serve, what type of consultancies do they serve. That'd be great for the audience before we kick off with the interview. Sure, James. Well, well, firstly, thanks for inviting me on. Great to be here with you today. Uh, and as we were saying just before this, I think, you know, technology is showing us that you don't need to be face to face to do a lot of these things. And, you know, while none of us want to be in the situation we are, I think, you know, being able to use tools like Zoom, like we're doing here, has been brilliant and continues to be. So who are we? So Create Engage is a digital marketing agency focused largely on the management consulting industry. So our, our core niche, and we'll come on to a bit later, actually, why we focus on a niche, but our core niche is management consulting firms. We, in effect, work with consulting firms who are looking to grow and firms that are looking to grow through marketing. So our typical clients will have grown very successfully. You know, they, They've had a good number of years, and that can be anything from two years to 10 years of solid growth through sales, through networking. And that tends to run out at some point. You know, ultimately, your black book can only take you so far. And in circumstances like this, unfortunately, your, your black book can't really take you anywhere because you can't go and have those coffees, those beers, the things that people use as sales tools in our market. So we help our clients use effective digital marketing to generate return on investment. And we can delve into what that means. But I think one thing more generally is is marketing's had quite a bad reputation in our industry. I think consulting has traditionally been a sort of relationship business and and should always be relationship-based. But, you know, you're a sales expert yourself. There's certain levels in the funnel where it's not economic, it's not efficient to make a relationship. And so actually, that's where marketing can come in. And for our clients, they see that and they know that they need to do something different. And digital gives them those tools. Tools and we help them do that in the most effective way to generate return on investment. Makes sense to me. One quick clarification question. You mentioned sure. management consulting and consultancy. What's the difference for you? Yeah, sure. So uh, it, it's, some, it's broadly semantics, but thank you for, for sort of highlighting it because I should have clarified. So for us, management consulting firms are typically firms that do project-based work, could be change projects, they work with large corporate organizations. Now, that is obviously one type of consulting. What you do is consulting, what we do is consulting. But I would almost broaden it out to, we support B2B services organizations. So if you sell a service to a another business, we can support you and the approaches we, we offer can help you. Obviously, because of our fees and our price point, there is an element of you have to be a certain size to be able to afford what we do and, and almost for it to be economic for you. But that's where, as I say, our, our core focus is 
is management consulting, but I would broaden that out to consulting. And within that, that could include things like legal firms, accounting firms, anyone who's selling services or expertise. And it, I mean, it's worth touching on and we'll go on to niche, like I said, but we serve broader. So, you know, we're just about to launch a podcast with a very well-known Silicon Valley tech firm. We've worked with a water company. We do go broader, but our, our core focus is that services, that consulting specialism. Does that make sense? That does. Yeah. So if I refer to consulting or consultancy, you're happy if I use those terms interchangeably. Absolutely. And and I mean, I'd welcome James, you know, if throughout this, there's anything I, I touch on that you, you know, from your experience, you see a different view because of certain types of consulting, you know, let's call it out. Because I think, like you say, the, the word consulting can mean a lot of things. And it's, it's good to be sort of clear on and specific on it. So yeah, use them interchangeably. And we can sort of flag if we need to, to deviate from that. Yeah, sounds good, Nick. So what are the three biggest problems and mistakes that consultancy owners make with their marketing? It's a really good question. And I think first and foremost is frankly not doing it. So like I said in in sort of the introduction, I think our industry as consulting, and, and this is broadly across any service industry, tends to start where someone who's really good at what they do and has got a good reputation will go out on their own and they'll start by building their their business through their network and they will continue doing that. And so that's where, for me, the first and foremost, the challenge is they don't think about marketing. You know, as a, as a consultant, when you're sort of starting out, you don't learn about marketing, you learn about sales, you learn about business development. So things around how do you shape a market, you know, your proposition, what's your go-to-market strategy, these aren't necessarily things that people focus on. So so that's number one, you know, simply not doing it, not not giving it enough thought. I think then for those that are actually doing it, there's sort of two key what key points. So the first is actually the the what are you putting out? So, you know, we as an agency are massive believers that that marketing is ultimately about giving value. You know, consulting firms talk about nothing but giving value to their clients. But a lot of firms, when it comes to marketing, forget that. They almost see marketing as advertising. And so with things like posts on LinkedIn or white papers, it becomes very much sales focused. It's more of almost a, a sales pack as opposed to a marketing pack, but you know, you'll put a sort of marketing wrapper around it. And I think that the hard thing with that is clients see through it. You know, sometimes we sort of delude ourselves, they don't, but you know, we, we've had this feedback direct from our clients' clients. They know the difference. They're, they're people like you and I, they can spot a, you know, a, a sales pack that's sort of dressed up as marketing a mile off. So that's number two. And then the third is, is very much, I guess, not putting enough thought into that marketing plan and and how it all ties together. So doing the odd post here, the odd blog there, and not thinking about it as a coherent and cohesive approach. You know, I I sometimes use the analogy of going to the gym. You know, I'll I'll hear people say, oh, we've tried marketing. It doesn't give us any returns. You know, I did five blogs. No one, no one called me. And and I guess it's, it's the same as if you were to go to the gym, go, you know, you went this week, you went in two months time and you went in five months time. And you didn't get any fitter, healthier, or whatever your goals are. Are you going to blame you or the gym? And I think it's the same with marketing. Is you know, just like if you want to get in shape, you need a concerted plan. It takes time, and, and those results compound. Marketing is the same. So those are probably the the three big areas that that I'd say you know consulting firms get wrong. And are there of those three problems when you mature up the consultancy rate in terms of revenue? using that as a starting point are there ones that people major on within that according to their stage nick really good question james and and if i'm honest 
I'd say no. I think when you get to the real the sort of mid to large firms, it's very much the latter. So that is a distinction. But in the sort of everyone from one man bands to that sort of mid size, you know, I guess sort of, you know, eight figure sort of revenue size, it can be any and all. So I've seen firms who have grown very successfully with with very little marketing. So they're not doing it bucket. But then, like you say, I think when people start it, that's when I probably see in equal measure the failing to have a clear strategy and doing the sales and the advertising. I think many firms across that spectrum are very guilty of the, the advertising piece. And we'll come on to probably a bit later some of the ways you can you can sort of reverse this. But then the the clear strategy almost ties in with that. Because if you haven't got a clear strategy, you're going to have disjointed content. And if you do, but your content is sales focused, you're not going to see any results because it's not marketing. And so those two issues almost tie together and you kind of need to fix both of them. If you fix one, not the other, you're, you're not going to see the results you want, which is where then marketing can sometimes get a bad reputation for not delivering in our industry. Yeah, I, I wanted to pick up on that, Nick. That's quite an interesting observation. You talked a lot about strategy, and a lot of people out there, consultancy owners, will be really concerned about execution, implementation, or production potentially in their world, and that a lot of marketing agencies or consultancies that people may be speaking to right now would say, you know, we need to get your plan together. We need to get your strategy together, which all makes sense. But also there is the other part where the value is realized, which is the execution of that strategy. And a lot of people don't get to that stage either with the same agency or they don't see in the period that's suggested within the strategy, the value that's being professed to them up front. What are your thoughts on that? Let me take them as two separate questions. Let me start with strategy and then come on to sort of time frame and the agency side. So I think the strategic piece is first, you know, if you don't start there, you're never going to see results. And so with any of our clients, and it's something we give away for free on our website, we use our digital marketing framework. You know, it's a really clear, structured framework that we work through for any client, whether it's at their sort of firm-wide marketing strategy, be it a practice within that, or be it a campaign they're looking to run. You know, tomorrow we're launching a campaign with a new client. It's a small campaign, but the first thing we're doing is a workshop based on that framework. Because if you don't have that clarity on the core strategic elements, you know, what makes you unique as a business? Who are you targeting? What's that target client? What are the messages that will resonate? It's impossible to do the rest. You know, you're just guessing. And so that's where we start. And like I say, it's it's free on our website. I can give you the link after this. You can put it in in the show notes for people. Then the, the sort of next piece about the how long it needs well, I think the first thing to say is is it doesn't have to be an agency. You know, I, I'm I obviously I'd love it if clients came to us, but I I don't think everyone needs an agency, and I don't think an agency is right for everyone. And so, you know, without going into too much detail about our model, we will only take clients who are prepared to commit to a certain investment. And obviously, that has a financial aspect, but from our side, it's a support aspect because below that, we don't believe we can give them the value that they need. And so I would much rather if someone comes to me and says, we've got a certain budget that I know we can't deliver sort of tangible value for them within to say, go and do it yourself, you know, go and find a freelancer on Fiverr, who can do this for you, because you have right now, you know, particularly for those who are at the earlier stages where they probably have more time than money, they're better off investing in that way. You know, when you get to a a bigger size, the it, the trade-off flips. You know, if you're a busy, successful consulting firm, you know, regardless of what you do, your niche, and you're making good day rates, 
at some point, it becomes just much more cost effective to get an agency in. And then in terms of, of that time frame, I think part of it is about where is the client and what are they trying to achieve? Where are you as a consulting firm? You know, I, I've seen consulting firms across the whole gamut from people who have, you know, basically a fully fledged marketing function and we just need to press the accelerator all the way down to people who have got nothing. They haven't got intro packs. They haven't, you know, some firms don't even really have a true brand. And so actually part of that question about what can we expect, what are the timeframes, really needs to be rooted in that. Because again, you know, take the gym analogy. If you have sat on the sofa for five years and you're just getting into the gym, well, maybe being able to run two kilometers in three months is a great result for you. But if you've been doing Ironmans or you know, triathlons, you know, you're going to be moving so much further in that three months, but those goals are relative. So it's hard to say, you know, it's the question I always get, you know, how many leads should should we expect? What's the average? What's the norm? Part of the challenge is there isn't a specific norm because if we're working with a consulting firm of 100 consultants who have, you know, 10 years track record and, you know, thousands of contacts, they're going to get a very different result to a firm who's got 10 consultants. But equally, the firm who's got 10 consultants doesn't need as much business and probably can't manage as much business. You know, if we if we were able to get both of them the same amount of business, same amount of leads, the bigger one would be really happy and the smaller one would drown. So part of this is relative, but I think the key thing is starting with strategy, building a clear plan off the back of it, and then committing to that plan. Regardless of size, if you deviate from that, if you sort of falter, you're not going to see it through because you won't get that compounding. You know, if you have a 12-month plan that you've committed to and you stop it at month four, whether that's with an agency or yourselves, you're not going to see the results that you want. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's that point what we've learned in our consulting industry is that in the technology sector, that differentiating on execution rather than strategy is a better gameplay because strategy does have a modicum of it almost has a bit of a ceiling in terms of how good the strategy can be but mm. the execution really doesn't because ultimately if you can deliver better results to that client even with a similar strategy or some um, resemblance to someone else's strategy they would have created you will still be the provider of choice and therefore you'll get referenceability you know you'll be well known in your space so my, my question we're certainly focused on the you know ability to i guess distinguish between those that do great execution and those that maybe do poor execution in as a marketing provider and and what are maybe some of those questions or things that founders can be wary of when making that decision on whether f from the transition from strategy and execution how successful that's going to be if the question is what to look for in a marketing agency is sort of what I'm I'm taking that as. I guess there's there's a few things. I mean, there's there's the sort of the most fundamental for me, and I'll come on to the sort of the, the I guess, the cliched ones of experience in industry and, and track record. I guess first and foremost is there has to be a fit and, and you have to, I guess, believe in where the agency is sort of steering you. So for what we do, and I know obviously you're sort of more focused in the tech industry where things are, you know, at that cutting edge. Well, the first and foremost is is does the agency you're working with understand, you know, the latest mediums, do they understand where marketing's going? So, you know, take things like podcasts, which while they've been going, you know, podcasts have been mainstream for about five years. They're now in our industry, I guess, starting to come to the fore. You know, in in that sort of B2B space, they're coming to the fore. 
if you're a tech firm, you're looking to to use that as a medium, you know, do the agencies you're talking to understand that? Likewise, things like video, you know, the amount of consulting firms and tech firms that aren't necessarily maximizing that, you know, if you're talking to agencies, do they get it? I think the interesting one for me is, and this is genuinely why, you know, we, we have a very much an open and honest approach is marketing almost can be full foul of its its own marketing is that there's a number, you know, and, and it's worth saying, James, you know, for me, I'm, I'm not going to sort of bash any of my competitors. And it's, it's not actually something I, I spend a lot of time doing looking at what my competitors do. But, you know, from from anecdotal sort of conversations with clients and, and others in the market, I, I know there are some out there who, who I guess, focus on the, the data focus on the, the sort of results. And now, Obviously, that's key. You know, clients want results. But I think you've always got to dig into if someone's promising you X number of leads, what does that mean? And what does that look like? And actually, you know, you talk about this sort of that combination of strategy and execution. And I think it has to be a combination. And it has to be execution aligned to your strategy. You know, I could go and get you 100 leads tomorrow, just by sort of blasting a LinkedIn search and copy and pasting all of them. You know, we all get those emails. But it's about quality and it's about getting the right people. Now, this is where I guess there is a slight nuance between sort of consulting, management consulting, and the term I'm using, and I guess sort of more of a a SaaS-based tech product because our clients are typically selling, you know, contracts of £100,000 upwards. So, you know, the the number of clients our clients need to have a very successful business is very small. You know, if you have 10, 1 million pound clients, you have a very good business. And, you know, regardless whether your goal is to, to grow, to make a li- you know livelihood for yourself, whether it's to, to sell and make an exit, there's a lot of people out there who buy a 10 million pound business. Obviously, if you're selling a SaaS product, that's a slightly different sort of sales model, different approach, and may need slightly different things in terms of marketing. But I think it's it's key that anyone you work with should understand what you do, understand those nuances. And as a founder of a consulting firm, almost you want to dig into that. So it's make sure they understand what's going on in digital. They understand the latest concepts, the latest strategies, but also make sure there's a realism and, and you know that confidence in them that they can deliver what you need and almost take a stock check. You know, what we do is not a state agency. And trust me, I've done a state agency. You know, you don't just take the person who offers you the biggest amount of money. We all do it with houses. You know, if you've ever sold a house, you go with the agent who says it's the biggest number. And agents know, you know, it's a, it's what they know in the industry. You say you've the biggest number and then you sort of negotiate it down over time. With marketing, it doesn't work like that, but there are a number out there who do sell like that. So if you are listening to this as a prospective client, obviously ask for proof that your agency can deliver, but then make sure that the agency is the right fit for you, not simply the one who's given you the biggest, you know, the biggest number of leads that they say they can get you on the sales pack. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So in the climate we're in today, a lot of consulting firms and other businesses are turning to content production and publication. That obviously pits a lot of strain on the company sometimes and even the skills of the individuals. But looking in a positive way for those wanting to engage in that practice, which I think is the right one as well, what should they measure? And then what is some of the best ways to repurpose that content to kind of keep that machine going? And I guess when we talk about machine, you know, how do we actually structure that content production and publication machine is probably my bigger question. It's a really key question. I think the first point to start 
is actually what are you creating? So before even measuring, you know, you mentioned around we're in, you know, highly unusual times right now. This is probably a one in 100, if not one in 200 year event. You know, the whole world is doing what we're doing right now, working from home. And actually, the first thing to think about is, okay, what am I putting out? And the reason I say that is people are looking for different things. So for instance, For probably the last six months, we would have told every client we work with and any other consulting firm to avoid webinars because largely people are busy. You know, your your executive clients are in tons of meetings. And actually right now we're telling them the reverse and we're seeing fantastic results from it. Our clients are seeing fantastic results from it because people are at home. They need... They need help. Your clients need help. They they have this spare time because their diaries aren't full of meetings. They're not traveling. You know, if you've got a global client, they're no longer able to, you know, fly all around the world. They've suddenly got time. And the reason I highlight that as just an example is that's the first question is, what are you creating? And to our point around starting with strategy, how is it aligned to the current context? So if you used to just do five blogs, you know, a blog a week, and you're still doing a blog a week, why are you doing that? Is it the right thing for your audience? You know, I, I can't answer that, but you you know that's what people need to think about. So that's the first thing. Actually, what are you doing? Then in terms of measurement, so again, depends on the content. So we're massive believers that you, you need to be clear on why you're producing content and what it's for. So is it that brand building, that awareness piece? You know, take this for instance. This is very much around getting people to know you, getting people to know me. It's the same with our podcast. You know, it's giving tons of value and letting people find you. It's more of that awareness. On the other side, if you're doing something, you know, really sort of targeted lead generating content, be it an ebook, be it a webinar, you know, you need to be clear on what that is because that impacts measurement. So for me, for instance, the focus for something like this would be how many people are listening? Is that trend going up? Is it going down? You know, what are people listening to? So, you know, something that we do with our podcast is focus on who are the guests who get the most listens? What are the topics people want to hear about? That's what you should be measuring with this sort of content. With your lead generating content, you know, it's leads. It's as simple as that. If you're doing a webinar and you get 20 people sign up, that's 20 emails, 20 people you can move into your BD funnel and, and start to have those conversations with. And the key thing is then just to be mindful and, and really monitor what's going on. So I'll give you a, a really live example in our business. You know, we started a, a newsletter at the start of this year. You know, it got some really good traction. And then over the last probably month or so, for a number of reasons, that's dropped. And due to the current situation, you know, we as a team, we reviewed it, we looked at the numbers, and actually we're parking that, you know, we're going to let everyone know, sorry, this is being stopped, because as an initiative, it, it's not, it's not delivering what we need. Take the podcast, for instance, it's continuing to grow, it's continuing to lead to business, we're continuing to do it. So that gives you that sort of measurement piece. And then the last what was about repurposing, was that right? That's right, yeah. So, you know, it, it's a, it's a great point you make, James. And actually, it's, if I'm honest, I should have said this at the start, it's it's one of the things so many consulting firms get wrong. I think in professional services, we have this focus on you know thought leadership. Everyone talks about being a thought leader and almost infers that that means you you can't, you know, you can't keep saying the same thing. You've got to be the first with the new, you know, you've got to have the new concept, the new idea. And actually, I think what that leads to is a lot of new thought, but not always a lot of good thought. You know, everyone wants to be the first to say something. But often, you know, your clients don't need the first, they need the best. And actually, when I look at a lot of firms that our clients work with, and you know, I'm sure it's the same with your clients, they're not solving brand new problems. You know, we're not all running AI and uh, businesses to do heart surgery. Most people need help putting IT systems in or selling to customers. You know, your business is the oldest problem in the world. You help people sell what they do. 
and you're making a successful business out of it. And, you know, the this is where I think people forget that a lot of content, if you've just got great ideas, run with it. So I mentioned that digital marketing framework. You know, we've been using that for over a year now. Uh, last Friday, I ran a webinar just on that. We've got an ebook generated over 150 leads for us and continues to do so because it's good content and it's valuable. And so that's the first thing is actually think what you're creating. And then to your point around actually repurposing, this is where, you know, where I was going is, if you've got great content, just keep reusing it, resharing it and saying it in different ways. Because I think people sometimes get nervous that if you post too much and, and whatever you define as too much, you know, someone's going to get annoyed. The sort of mythical client suddenly going to call up and go, James, I'm firing you because you post too much. And, you know, I, I, I've, I'm sure you've heard this too. But actually, most people don't notice your content. They don't see it. You know, especially right now, you talked about the current climate. We're seeing, you know, clients sort of average engagement go down and I can tell you that's simply because so many more people are posting on LinkedIn. You know, there is a ton of content. People who never would have posted before are posting pictures of Zoom calls, posting articles. The volume of traffic and content has gone up. The speed of your feed's gone up, which means you need to do more to get seen. And so that's where that repurposing comes in. You know, if you've got something like this, for instance, you know, this should be chopped. If you've done an interview, let's say, you can chop that into little video clips, audio clips. You know, we're actually just transcribing one of our own webinars to turn into an ebook. There's so many different ways you can can repurpose. And almost for anyone listening to this, if you've recently done a piece of content, I'd just sit there with a blank piece of paper and say, how can I create 10 different things from this? And it's worth saying one of those is simply reusing it, you know, to the point around thought leadership. People sometimes, I guess, forget that you can just reshare something. You know, we we did it actually with a client last week. And it was their best, their most successful piece of content all month. And the simple reason being it was timely. So about three months ago when we shared it, wasn't a hot agenda topic. Now, because of what it was talking about, it's a really hot agenda topic. And so tons of people were interested in it. So yeah, for the for the repurposing, I think people need to think about good thought, not thought leadership, and then look at what they can do to maximize the value from that. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. So moving that content that you've created and using it as lead generation, you mentioned about eBooks as well. What are some of the most effective ways to in effect take that long form content or potentially awareness material and convert it into a lead generation engine or, or funnel for your business? And, and it is, you know, it's, it's key for any consulting firm. Ultimately, you need that pillar content, that core piece of you know content that, that will generate leads. And obviously, as there's now more content in the world, people are quite selective about what they'll give their emails for. So I think the first thing is almost you need to build the content with the end in mind. So I would never say, you know, to talk to the point earlier about start with strategies, don't create content and then figure out how to make it a lead generator. Decide that you want to create a campaign that generates leads and build the strategy and the content from it. So, you know, if I give you our own example from the ebook that, that we still use, when we were creating that, you know, over a year ago, we knew we wanted to attract founders and, and managing partners of small consulting firms. We knew they would be interested in seeing how others similar to them have achieved success. And so we developed a case study that broke down the strategies used by a very successful firm in our industry. 
And knowing that, people were then prepared to share their email addresses for it. So that would be the, I guess, the primary focus. I mean, the, obviously, the technical aspects of stick a landing page up, put an email capture form. And, and again, I'm not saying that sort of off the cuff. There are many firms out there who give away their thought leadership for free, you know, and their sort of their white papers, their ebooks, whatever they call it for free, and don't have a lead capture. You know, I, I, there's one firm I know and I won't name them, but they have a phenomenally successful campaign. You know, I was speaking to one of their team and they're like, we've had 20,000 people download it. And my question was, okay, how many emails have you got from that? And I'm like, well, we don't actually have it gated, so none. Well, then for me, that's, a, a, you know, it's not worthless. There'll be a lot of people and a lot of brand awareness built through that. But if your goal is lead capture, you can't expect everyone to come to you off the back of your content, you have to encourage them to give you that email address. And so that would be where start with strategy, create the content your target clients will want, and then make sure that you have the the capability on your website to capture those. And then obviously, and I guess this is where you and your business come in, is make sure you're following up with those. Because if you don't follow up with leads, you know, you, you're never going to get the results you want. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. One of our clients called us the other day, the conversion experts. So that gives you a, a rough flavor of what we do. We take the lead <laughs> to a close. So yeah, that's a, that's a good way. Well, and it's so, you know, what you do is so key because one of the parts of what we have to do when we speak to prospective clients, not all of them, but quite a few is, is educate, is there's many firms who expect that marketing will do sales you know marketing will suddenly lead to someone picking up the phone and saying i want a i want a hundred thousand pound project please and that's not our job you know marketing is to help get conversations help smooth conversations along but your job as sales if you like if you're not doing the conversion how are you you know how are you going to get a sale and so my view is if we can get you 10 leads you should be able to turn one of them into a conversion but if you're not doing that work, you know, we could get you 100 leads and they'll go nowhere. Uh, so no, I think, you know, your side of the coin is is just as critical in this. And that's the, I guess, that next part that obviously I'm sure you'll cover in, in other podcasts with guests who are who are more expert on sales than me. Yeah, just to uh, leave your listeners with a bit of intel on our space, the average lead to close rate, although many would say, uh, according to HubSpot, it's, it's 21% aggregated that the real lead to close rate is actually closer to 4%. Wow. So yeah, it's very, very different because actually the 21% in HubSpot is a uh, often a meeting to close, which is different from a lead to close. Mm. So we talked about content, we talked about lead generation, we talked about the strategy first and then understanding obviously where the content builds around that strategy. What are some of the inexpensive ways to raise your profile? Would that be partnerships or, you know, PR initiatives led internally? What are your recommendations uh, for that, Nick? I think the first thing it's worth saying, James, is I think everything we suggest to clients is, is I guess, cost effective or low cost. Because, you know, unless you're sort of a, a FTSE 100 or in our industry, a sort of big four firm, you don't have a large marketing budget. And so you, you have to spend that wisely. I think... If I was, um, let me take the answer in two ways. So if someone listening to this is is just starting out on their own, they've got no marketing budget, you know, they're not going to hire me, they're not going to hire you or anyone else like us. I think the first and foremost is 
create that big piece of pillar content. You know, if you've got time, spend your weekends creating something great because you can then reuse it, repurpose it like we spoke about, and it saves you time because the hardest thing with content creation is is the creation, it's the idea generation. And if you're working, you know, flat out 12 hours a day, last thing you want to do is come home and then suddenly do more. So first things first is have something to say. And then the extension from that is say something. So platforms like LinkedIn and, you know, in our industry, it's specifically LinkedIn, but in other industries, it can be other platforms. That's changed the game for small entrepreneurs and, and consulting owners, because suddenly you have the you have the ear of the CEO you want to speak to just by connecting with them, just by commenting on their posts, just by sharing content. And so that's where I would start is make sure you're sharing content and you're doing it consistently. You know, And consistently doesn't mean every day, it just means regularly. I think I've seen a ton of examples where people will flurry three, four, five posts in a week and then silence for two, three months. You know, Likewise, I'm not saying you have to post every, every other day or even every week, but make sure that there's that regularity that people can build a relationship with you. Because in effect, all, all this, you know, all digital marketing does is lets people build relationships with you at scale. Then if we, I guess, look towards sort of our sort of our core client base, so those sort of SME consulting firms, there's a number of things. So first and foremost, right now, you know, if people aren't doing webinars, then you know that's where they have to start. If you want the cheapest, most cost-effective way of marketing right now, it's a webinar. Your target clients are so keen to get value through webinars. People have tons of time. I mean, we ran one for a client last week. They had 125 people sign up. They had 90 people turn up. I mean, the amount of money that people will, would have spent previously to run a 90-person event, you know, a fancy hotel in London, canapes, champagne, you can do this for free. And right now, people are receptive to it for free. So that's number one. I think number two, you know, and as you, you'll know, and I know we've spoken about, I mean, podcasts are a no brainer for, you know, a small amount of money. And even if they were to do it with us, you know, not a huge investment, you get an, an evergreen asset that people want to listen to. And it, it's there and it builds. And I think this is the key thing, you know, I think we touched on before around that pillar content and making sure it's evergreen and that it can be reused. Something like a podcast lives on. You know, I still get feedback on podcast episodes I did two years ago. I, you know, and I've built relationships with guests off the back of podcast episodes I did two years ago. So from both a direct way to meet a client through a podcast and through the referred benefit of audience, you know, the, the audience you build, it's a massive win. And then I guess a sort of really simple one, if you're in a firm of more than sort of five, you know, let's well, let's go a bit bigger. Let's say you're in a firm of 10 to 50. The most cost effective thing you can then do is get your team to be sharing whatever it is you're putting out. So, you know, one of the other things, and, and maybe we should have broadened the list from three earlier. One of the other things I see consulting firms sort of sometimes get wrong is they'll put out a great piece of content on their corporate LinkedIn page and it will just languish there. You know, no one will like it. No one will engage with it. And so that coupled with not being reused means it just disappears. Whereas if you've got 50 people in your firm, you know, five degrees of separation, that could potentially be 250 new clients seeing your content. And you've got to pay nothing for that. So when you, you know, when you look at other aspects of, you know, where you could spend marketing budget, these are no brainers. I think, um, uh, apologies, Jeff, I sort of went off on one direction, but I can conscious your question asked around partnerships as well. So massively believe in partnerships. I think, you know, like, like we're doing here, you know, if you can work with organizations who are similar in terms of outlook, similar in terms of client focus, or just simply have a skill set that could benefit your clients, 
why not do something together? Particularly if you're a small firm and they're a bigger firm, you know, you leverage that brand, you leverage that social proof. So anywhere you can collaborate, I, I'm always a big believer in, you know, can you do a, right now, could you do a micro conference? You know, I'm talking to some service providers in the consulting space who do similar things to us in non-competitive areas about doing the same. You know, can you do something that, puts your brand against theirs in, in a positive way, you know, puts you next to them, gets their clients to see you, your clients to see them. It's a massive win-win. So yeah, I think anyone, if you are, well, wherever you are in that journey, partnerships would be a massive, you know, a massive sort of, I guess, positive as well. Yeah, that makes sense to me. A couple of uh, interesting insights there, Nick. You mentioned about consultancy owners and social media. Let's pick LinkedIn as a platform for mm. most consultancy owners that would be you know a first port of call for them what would you say is the social media skill level or aptitude of a typical consultancy owner wow that is that is a broad question James and if I'm perfectly honest it the answer is it's the same as you know what's the average social media skill of of the entire population you know we we have clients and I have seen firms who aren't clients where they have phenomenal skill, you know, in terms of building brand, building reputation. I mean, I gosh, you know, just to give your listeners, people to look up, I mean, David Lancefield at PwC, and I know he's not a consulting owner, but in terms of you sort of that SME end, but, you know, he's brilliant. Nigel Walsh at Deloitte, the guys at 11FS. So, you know, look up David yeah. M. Breer. At, David at, Breer, yeah. Exactly. You know, he's just been on one of our clients' podcasts. What him and 11FS have done, you know, we could have shortened this whole interview and maybe we, you know, if people don't enjoy listening to us, they can, they can sort of short stop at this point is go and do what 11FS have done. You know, if you want me to sum up all of the advice we would give you in a nutshell, it's go and copy 11FS because what they have done is, is really powerfully built a corporate brand. They have combined that with their personal brands and they've done it in a way that seems, you know, cool, seems different, seems dynamic. And, and the way they've done that is through giving value. You know, ultimately, if you look at any 11FS content, zero sell, 100% value. That's marketing. But they've been successful off the back of it because they can close like you talked about. So I, I don't think so much there's a, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's a skill issue. I think some people may not have as much experience as others, but you know, it's just the same as anything else in life is you, you learn it by doing it. You know, you get on, you, you see what works, you try it. And I think the number one problem, like I said, you know, right back at the start of the show is the worst thing you can do is not do anything. And actually for most consulting owners, I think the number one fear is they, they feel they have to be someone different on social media. People are nervous about just being, you know, Joe, the expert in process improvement, or Jane, the expert in systems optimization. I think sometimes, you know, what we do, people go, well, that's not sexy. You know, I'm not a startup founder. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a superstar. Actually, just be sharing interesting stuff that you do will appeal to other people. And so that would be the key thing for me, no matter where someone is, you know, the first action they should take is just start sharing useful insights that will help their customers. Yeah. Completely agree with that. One small tactical thing I picked up around you were saying the yeah. pillar content. You know, we've been recently looking at pillar pages 
as mm. a good way of structuring content and so therefore we can drive people to a pillar page for example interviews with tech ceos so we can see all the other interviews so not only to encourage other people to be interviewed but ultimately for other tech ceos that are interested in us they can see all the other tech ceos that we've interviewed so about like you said structuring the content i think there's a lot to be said for that and people want simplicity in a time when we're potentially attention poor and to have things in kind of boxes and categories is nice for people to go forward with so talked about growing consultancy firms or consulting firms and we talked about hiring agencies and strategy and execution at the top of the call it's very interesting you went deep into that but for those consultancies out there how do you ascertain when and how to delegate certain parts of your marketing function and it is a you know it's a really important question and and i think it's a very i get it's a very individual question in terms of when is right for consulting firms but i, I think there's really two core tests and they really revolve around efficiency and effectiveness so Earlier on, I made the point that for small consulting firms, when I say small, you know, we're talking one, two, three people, very early, early stage, probably it is not economic to hire an agency. You know, that budget is better spent investing in the team or frankly, you know, as as situations like this where we are now show, sometimes just better putting in the bank for a rainy day. So the first thing is is around that efficiency of if you need the money, do it in-house. If you've got to the point where you know, you're growing, you're making healthy profit margins, then the, the conversation flips because for a lot of the firms we work with, and you know, this, this is broadly the same in any industry, but just to explain it in ours, you know, our clients will be charging themselves out for anything from 1500 up to £3,000 a day. And they'll be doing that on projects where they're working for 6, 12, 18 months. So that's a lot of money that you can earn by doing your job. And doing the marketing stuff either takes away from that because you've got to take a day off client site or potentially worse is something you have to do in the margin. So, you know, you're doing it 6 p.m. till 9 p.m. You're doing it at the weekends. And as any business owner knows, you know, you'll be the same. It's not a long term strategy. You know, I've done it. I'm sure you've done it. You know, sometimes you've got to work late and into the weekends. But doing that consistently is only going to lead to burnout. So if you've got a successful business, then that question is, can you afford to outsource marketing? And the answer is almost always yes. The The decision point is whether you believe it's effective, because if you believe it's effective, it's a no brainer. You know, if if you believe that we can get you one lead or sorry, we can turn one cold lead into a hot lead that you can sell to. And that results in a hundred thousand pound project and you do one of them in a year, our fees make, you know, make financial sense. And if you do more than one in a year, you've got a very good return on investment. So financially, it makes sense at any stage, as long as you have the money coming in. The second part, and this is, I guess, it kind of goes hand in hand with the first part is, are you the most effective at doing this? So there will come a point for most consulting firms where they can afford to do marketing in terms of they can outsource it. And then the question becomes, well, who is best to write this? And I think, you know, I speak to, I don't know how many consulting leaders and consulting founders a, a week. And, and I regularly get the question of, well, you know, you're not experts in, in our sort of individual little industry. You know, you don't know making widgets for nuclear power plants. We don't, you know, it's, it's a fact. And therefore, I don't want to outsource this. You know, we are the, the nuclear power widget making experts who so we're going to do all the marketing. And, and I think that forgets the fundamental of what a good agency is about is, our goal is never to be an expert in 
specific niches within consulting. Our goal is to understand as a framework and a, a sort of the level we need to, what resonates with buyers of firms like the ones we work with, and then have the capability to, you know, you mentioned around execution. This is where execution is critical is if you don't have the capability to translate what your client is trying to say into an effective marketing message, there's zero execution. You know, you're, you're just going to take their time. And that is where, you know, we've heard a lot of sort of negatives about, and, and I think where our industry gets a bad rap is, you know, I have heard clients say, well, we had an agency and all they really did was just badger us for information. And it was almost just like having sort of someone on our backs. It's like a bad personal trainer. And for me, that is a bad agency. You know, what a good agency should be able to do is take your message, take your distill your ideas, distill your expertise and turn it into valuable, tangible marketing content. And that's where the effectiveness comes in. Because, you know, our industry, and again, I talk sort of management consulting here, but it's the same in tech, you know, the people in it are, are extremely driven, extremely intelligent, extremely bright, motivated people. You know, most of them have come through a university, you know, university, they've written a lot. And, and almost because of that, Sometimes I think people forget that copywriting is a real skill. They almost think, you know, I wrote essays in university. I got a 2-1. I write client reports all the time. You know, my clients love them. Of course I can write marketing copy. And I think the the thing that, you know, I spend a lot of time educating prospective clients on is that marketing is completely different. The skills you need, the style, what you need to consider is completely different. And so that's where that effectiveness piece comes in is, if you are not a talented copywriter, and that's not that you know, you've written a client report, or you've done a dissertation, it's that you can write copy that lights clients up from a marketing perspective. If that's not you, and you have the money to outsource it, you should outsource it. If either of those two questions aren't true, you should probably keep it in-house. So I appreciate that's probably a, a longer answer, but hopefully, you know, for, your, for yourself and some of the listeners, just gives that detail. I mean, I'd be interested, sort of, does that echo, you know, how you advise your clients? Any any builds on that? What's your take, James? Yeah, I think I like your uh, summary of efficiency and effectiveness. I do agree with you that you've got that point of the smaller firm probably need the money, may do it in a house or have freelancers or part-time people helping them out. And then the effectiveness is often the scalability of the company. Are they the best person to do it? You know, is it better with an agency? If I'm 1500 or 2000 pound a day or equivalent, could I in effect, you know, be paying someone, you know, for that, you know, a couple of days a month to do that for me. And what, what would it mean if I did have, you know, another project a month coming into the business? So, yeah, I certainly agree with that. I think the only thing I would add to that is, you know, really breaking down the marketing flow and understanding, not necessarily from I need to stop and think and slow down my thinking, but more of a capture mechanism. So mm. looking at the marketing flow as you're doing it, capturing, recording those systems that in effect or practices you're going through and then evaluating where those potentially can be optimized. Because I think providing more value even to potential partners is something that is neglected sometimes mm. because if you're able to show a potential marketing agency or two or three that you may be considering this is the flow guys you know this is our marketing plan this is the flow this is how it works and that may even be nice live interactive content in terms of capturing those systems 
if I was, you know, potentially in your shoes and even in my shoes, when people do it from a sales perspective, that's very insightful. And then I can certainly advise and I can advise on a deeper level because my mm. content and kind of context absorption is so much higher than if it was like, okay, tell me about your business. You know, what do you do? Where are you from? Who do you serve? All those questions are valuable, but it's not the, mm. what people want sometimes is, you know, getting down to tactical level because like you said it's an effectiveness equation so now we're talking mm. about added value beyond the base level so mm. the transfer of knowledge needs to be smart and it needs to be at a level where obviously the new provider can add additional value rather than just maybe maintain the base level unless mm. obviously the base level is extremely high and it's it's maybe jumped and they just want to keep it at their level but if they want to continually grow from that level i think you know providing more value and depth and context to your partners would help you ascertain where they're going to produce value and also in that decision criteria sketching out your roi understanding what are those calculations deciding on the roi calculation and costing time into that equation as well mm. as consultancy owner and the second thing i would add on top of that is that you do understand within that flow where you have strengths and weaknesses in your team and where the agency could add value and mm. if they don't correlate and they almost don't pitch back to you the value that you perceive that you need and give you the comfort levels you need then you need to look at another provider or another solution to that problem i think you know great additions i, I think it's a really you know really key point and, and i always find you know if we could go back and do one of the answers again i'd probably add what you've just said to it of you know, fundamentally, a good agency has to understand your unique position. I think, you know, if you come with a sort of cookie cutter boilerplate, we will do three campaigns, it'll get you 10, you know, I don't know, 100% ROI and, and 10,000 followers. Well, that may be right for that organization, it may not be. And exactly like you say, you know, you, you, know, you need to understand where that client is in its journey, what they've got mapped out and where your time is best focused to give them that you know greatest return on investment and rarely is that possible with a sort of one size fits all approach so no re really agree and you know it's a critical point so last question for me nick sure. what's the best way to review additional marketing channels and tactics to amplify what you're doing but without distracting from the core marketing flow that you have at the company Sure. So I guess it talks to a few things we've said today and probably why it's your, your last question, James. So I think first and foremost, you know, like you said, you need to know what that marketing flow is. And by flow, I'm assuming, you know, you mean plan, you know, are we doing campaigns, how much social media, that sort of thing. So firstly, what is that baseline? Because it'll be different for everyone. And then I think it's, you know, two key points we've talked about before. Start small and commit for a decent period of time. I think, you know, no matter what you're doing, 12 weeks should be the baseline and that's both in that's in life not just in marketing but you know for marketing you need to test something for 12 weeks you know just putting out a blog and saying oh well i got three likes no one's commented no one's called me it's not a good strategy it's not going to lead anywhere so you know start small i mentioned earlier about our email our friday three you know that was not a big project for us me and the team took turns at writing an email you know i had to write one probably once a month that's not a big investment of time, but what it gave us was a way to test. Likewise, you know, if you're trying to do a test a podcast, for instance, do what we're doing here. You know, speak to five people you know, put it out to the world, and see what happens. So I think it's very much start small, 
test, learn, you know, and some of this sounds cliche, I appreciate, but it, it's cliche because it works. I think where people go wrong is they either don't put enough in or actually they go the other way, you know, and this is particularly with, I guess, more traditional channels. People put it all on black. They go, right, I'm going to sponsor, you know, that big conference. I'm going to throw 20 grand at the wall. I mean, you you are just as as sort of likely to win as you are going to the casino and you'll probably have more fun at the casino because if you're betting that much money on roulette they'll give you a free bottle of champagne so you know when you're when you're thinking about what to do that's the other end of the spectrum you know i've seen far too many firms fall foul of this they'll go right we're going to stick an article in raconteur or we're going to do a conference that's the wrong end likewise not doing enough is the wrong end but for that sort of small piece start test learn and then decide: Do we keep going, or do we do we park it and try something else? That's really helpful. So, I've learned a lot. As always, I love speaking to marketers because it's not my strength area, and I continue. I feel I feel cheated on James. I thought I was the only one. I didn't realize there were others. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm always learning from marketers because we get engaged with them with our clients, CMOs, mm. heads of marketing at these tech companies, and we're continually learning because marketing and sales are coming closer together. So that's what I mean by my learning. So for, for those listeners out there on our channels, you know, where's the best place to one, find the uh, digital marketing framework that you referred to earlier. And two is to find out more about what you guys do and you know, how you might be able to help them. So best place to reach me, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can get me over email. So nick at createengage.co.uk for the digital marketing framework or our digital marketing secrets ebook that I mentioned as well. If you go to our website, createengage.co.uk, all of that content's available on there. I'll obviously, James, after this, I'll send you links as well. So if you want to put them direct in the show notes, you can. And, you know, really, really happy for people to reach out, get in touch, if they want to just have a chat, if they want to sort of, you know, kick a few things around, always happy to have a conversation. I and mean, yeah, very happy to help people. I uh, really like it. And I'm certainly will get quite a bit of engagement. I'm sure questions from friends as well in my network about this. Um, but we can certainly speak about that another time about some other networks I'm a part of that maybe it'd be great to engage you in as well. But Nick, have a lovely evening. It's been great to connect today. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll speak soon for sure. Brilliant, James. Thank you very much. Been great speaking to you. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Cheers, Nick. Bye for now. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Climb in Consulting podcast. If you did, I would be very grateful if you could leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast platform of choice, whichever one you may be using. And please also share this with anyone that you think could benefit from hearing today's interview. If you want to get in touch or give me any feedback about the podcast, please feel free to drop me an email. It's nick at climbinconsulting.com and I look forward to hearing from you.